Well, good morning. What a joy it is to be here with you and to open God's Word together. Open your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Jace was, uh, we were meeting this morning prior uh, to um, Jace, Jacob and I meet every morning uh, about 7.45 to think about the meeting. And Jace just commented something we've commented to each other. And that is we're in a season of cares, seemingly a lot of cares in our church. Um, and as, as we have said this morning, how wonderful it is that we have a Savior who meets us in our times of trouble. And that's what this passage is about. Matthew chapter 6, uh, we will be reading 25, talking primarily about 25 through 34. But for context, we'll back up and we'll read starting in verse 19, uh, which which we heard a message from about last week from Ken Mellinger. So Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34, this is God's word. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroyed, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great the darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life... More than food and the body, more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore... Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just come to you now, Lord, knowing that we are like the grass and the flowers of the field. We are here today and gone tomorrow. We are momentary. But you are eternal. And you love us. So, Lord, use your word, we pray. Help us to hold fast to that. Help us to see you in the midst of our troubles and our cares and to be comforted and to respond by seeking your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have this memory of my childhood, the memory of my dad with the flashlight, and he was investigating something scary. I, I can't remember where we were or what we were doing. Maybe we were camping or something, but it was a dark, black night. And I remember feeling scared, but at the same time, feeling safe because I was walking behind my dad and he had the light in his hand. So as we study today anxiety, its causes and cures, its cause and cure, this passage, we are walking into a dark, scary place in our souls frequently. But we don't have to be afraid. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts and revealed the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we can follow his light into the scary places in our souls and he will keep us safe. So anxiety, this passage is about anxiety. The American Journal of Managed Care writes that more than one in every four adults will experience at least one anxiety disorder in their lifetime. About 100 people here, 25 of us, supposedly, theoretically. The annual cost of an anxiety disorder in the U.S. is estimated between 42 and 47 billion dollars. Physical symptoms are things such as chest pain, fatigue, headaches, insomnia, shortness of breath, dizziness, nausea, palpitations, and numbness. They may even mimic the patient's existing conditions, so it's complicated to diagnose disorders, anxiety disorders. The causes of an anxiety disorder are complex and often require medical care. And these issues, there aren't clear lines between sickness in the soul and sickness in the body. At times, medication is helpful and necessary, but medication can't heal the soul. Now, those are disorders, but there is the common kind of run-of-the-mill daily anxiety that I think is the human experience. There are common forms of anxiety we all deal with. So, so what do they feel like sometimes? Well, they can feel like the world is speeding up or slowing down, feeling like other people can see you're anxious and looking at you and watching you. They can feel like you just can't stop worrying or that bad things will happen if you do stop to worry. Stop worrying. You can have a churning feeling in your stomach. You can feel lightheaded or dizzy. Feel like you're on pins and needles. 
can have a restlessness, unable to sit. You have headaches, backaches, other aches and pains, faster breathing, a fast, thumping, irregular heartbeat. These aren't just academic things for me. This description that I'm going to read now, I guess matches it, what I experience. Anxiety has been called having a sense of dread or fearing the worst. Just a sense of dread or fearing the worst. Well, if you feel that way, if that's a challenge in your life, there is hope. Let's get a little better handle on the problem. As always, our sinful tendencies are actually something good that's been turned bad. The enemy can't create evil. He can only pervert good. So there, there may be some good reasons for anxiety. I will quote a source that I found helpful, uh, and it's from this little pamphlet here. It's a brief read, but it covers a good bit of ground. It's called Overcoming Anxiety, Relief for Worried People by David Paulison. I actually put some copies on the back table, that little table back there in back. You're free to take one if you feel like it would be helpful to you. I'll be quoting from it um, throughout the message today. So, so here's what one of the things that David Paulison says um, about anxiety. I believe we have it on the overhead for you. Anxiety, when you get to the bottom of it, is a God-given capacity for knowing that something bad is going on in your world, either in the past, the present, or the future. This is not necessarily negative. There's a right kind of anxiety that leads us to express loving concern for others in the midst of their trouble and draws us to take refuge in God when we are in trouble. Psalm 94, 19 says this, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your comfort delights my soul. So those anxious thoughts are an invitation to go to the Lord and have our souls delighted with his comfort. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, And apart from, these th- from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety... For all the churches. So God can give you a God-given healthy anxiety for the concern and the care of other people. Paulson goes on to compare anxiety to the check engine light on your car's dashboard. Uh, you know something's wrong with your car, not exactly sure what it is, so it's time to visit the mechanic. Although I've done it, it's not wise just to drive with that check engine light on. Because sooner or later, you're going to wish you had it checked out, usually. Um, The same way, we need to identify the cause for anxiety and deal with it. So, we've identified the problem. Let's try to look a little bit biblically at the cause and then the cure for anxiety. So, we'll have two main points. The cause, the cure. Keeping it simple. I need that. The cause. So, um... We know some of the causes already. Ken Mellinger helped us tremendously in the sermon last week. If you haven't heard it, really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It, it actually is part of the context for these, uh, what Jesus is saying now. 
We can become anxious when we treasure the wrong things, when we look at life the wrong way, when we try to serve God and money. That creates anxiety in us. So, so we were charged last week and called to put our treasure in heaven, to see with God's sight, and to serve God. So that's why verse 25 starts with, therefore. We've handled that, therefore we can move on. Because we're laying up our treasures in heaven, seeing and serving the Savior, we can cease from being anxious. Therefore, but now, Jesus is taking us deeper. He identifies the trifecta of common anxiety. What we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear, those basic subsistence needs for life. Sometimes we're anxious because we don't have them. Sometimes we're anxious because they're not what we desire. Jesus is brilliant here because he immediately draws a line from these basic needs for survival to the metaphysical realities that have baffled philosophers over the ages. You know, what is life all about? What's the meaning of life? He's saying it's more than these basic things. Where do we find our value? Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And are you not of more value than the birds and the flowers? So Jesus is looking at these things that afflict us commonly. And he's saying, you know what? That's a distraction. There's something more important than that. You're not just an animal. You're not just a basic needs. These things point to something else. Jesus is raising our eyes above the subsistence to life. What is, what is life beyond subsistence? Well, well, it's your baby's first cry. The hugs of your children, the hugs of your parents. The warmth of a best friend, not food, but feasting. Not work, but calling. Not sex, but marriage. Not the mass of humanity, but community. Not grasping, but giving. Not searching, but finding. And beyond all that, or really, what all that comes from is Jesus himself. He is the life. The way, the truth, and the life. In him was life, John tells us in chapter 1. And the life was the light of men. Jesus died on the cross to give us life in him, which is more than food. We become anxious when we seek after material things, when we try to get life from material things, from the created order. If you are anxious, you may be clinging to that which is not life. And he talks about value. Are you not of more value than they? Where does value come from? Oh, listen, our culture is crying out to find value. This ceaseless search for value, for worth. The current buzzword is for self-esteem. Jesus commands, don't be anxious about what you will wear. How many anxious hours have been spent in front of a mirror? What? You know, is this, is this out of style? <laughs> is this just fit me? Do I look fat? Jesus says, is not the body more than food? Yes. And the body is more than how much you weigh. It is in the image of God. We become anxious about these things. 
The self-esteem culture makes us desires and exhorts us to make much of ourselves, to feel good about ourselves, to sell ourselves that we are wonderful. So there's this sense of valuelessness. And so the culture says, feel good about yourself, love yourself. However, looking in the mirror and saying, you're a rock star, rock star, does not want a rock star make. John Piper nails the myth of self-esteem in the quote that from Don't Waste Your Life that we have for you, I think, on the overhead. He just nails it. It's a bit of a longer quote, but hang, so hang with me. For most people, to be loved is to be made much of. Almost everything in our Western, Western culture serves this distortion of love. We are taught in a thousand ways that love means increasing someone's self-esteem. Love is helping someone feel good about themselves. Love is giving someone a mirror and helping him like what he sees. To make them feel good about themselves when they are made to feel good about seeing God is like taking someone to the Alps and locking them in a room full of mirrors. Say, look at yourself. You're awesome. Well, we no, you're not. Look at God. He's awesome. And so this culture of seeking value keeps us turned in on ourselves. And the reality is we know we're sinners and we're broken and the image is cracked. And you know what? We'll look at God instead. Instead of an inflated sense of self-esteem, our sense of worth and confidence comes from God's love and acceptance of us. Ultimately, when we become anxious about the basic needs and necessities of life, the desires of our daily life, we are believing lies. David Paulson's helpful again, a quote from him. He says this, Anxiety is full of lies. What are some of them? First, you believe the world needs to be under your control. Second, you think it is out of control. And third, you imagine that your worry will get it under control. But the truth is, God, the truth is that this is God's world. He controls it. And your worry will not change a thing. So, when you're tempted to worry, reject the lie that it's up to you to keep yourself and those you love safe. It's a lie. It's a lie. So, how do we reject the lie? What is the cure for anxiety that Jesus offers us in this passage? Number two, the cure. First of all, two, part, two sub-points of the cure, the Father's care. The Father's care. Jesus makes two brilliant arguments from the lesser to the greater. So the lesser to the greater is, if this lesser thing is true, then this other thing is even much more true. So Jesus affirms in these arguments, God's sovereign reign over all creation and his investment of objective worth in his children. Look at the birds of the air, he says. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He doesn't say their heavenly Father. He says your heavenly Father. Are you not of more value than they? Yes. Yes. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spend, yet I tell you, and Jesus saw him personally, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Your Father God has the world under control, and he is caring for his creation, personally caring. And if he cares for the birds and the flowers, how much more does he care for you? Well, I'll tell you how much more. He cared enough to send his son to die for you when you were still a sinner. Jesus died for you. We have no righteousness of our own, but we are of great value to God. We can't stand before God and say, look, we, we, we earned your love and we deserve your forgiveness. We'll never be able to do that because it'll never be true. But we can stand before him and marvel that he values us. God values you. If I am loved by God, who am I to say I'm un- who am I to say I'm unlovely? And what is lovely about me? Well, it's what God has done in me. Knowing that, believing that, makes us worship and gives us great confidence before God. Not self-esteem, but confidence before God. And if we have confidence before God, what can man do to us? What can the circumstances of life do to us? What can even need do to us? Here's what 1 John three nineteen through 21 says. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Brothers, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. The world may look out of control, but it is not. Your finances may look out of control. You may have made bad decisions. There may be adverse circumstances that affect your income, but your life is not out of God's control. Your Father cares for you. He has given His Spirit to lead you. He has provided wisdom in the Bible to guide you. He's put you in relationships from the church and in community where you can get help. And, by the way, the Financial Peace University class that Chad Tamino is teaching that starts tomorrow night, still time, may be a great opportunity to help you grow in God's wisdom so you're not anxious about your finances. When we're confident in the Father's care for us, we can give ourselves fully to the charge that Jesus gives us in this passage. The second point under the Father's care is 
the charge, the charge, Jesus' charge. Jesus' charge. Let's read the charge. Matthew 6, uh, in verse 31, this is the second therefore in this passage. So we learned to lay up our treasures in heaven and serve God, not, not money. And now we've learned the Father cares for us. Therefore, do, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall, the, what she, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here's the little final piece. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So here we have the final equation in the formula. Here all the images and metaphors have their practical application. Here we learn how to discern our hearts and actions. Kimmelinger taught us that Jesus isn't teaching us against personal ownership of property or against prosperity or against enjoying the life God has given us on earth. So how can we tell the difference? How do we know if I'm actually uh, saving because I'm being wise to care for future need or if I'm laying up treasures for myself on earth? How do I know if my job is for the glory of God or because I fear poverty? You will know them by, the, by your fruits. You will know by what we long for, by what we seek for, by, by what gets us out of bed, by what shapes the contours of our lives. When the waves of adversity and prosperity wash over us, they will sweep away the debris, the chaff of life, the mistakes, unrealized good intention that can block the reality of what's going on to reveal what really drives us along. When the towering waves of momentous decisions come rolling in, we see what first comes to mind. We see if we're building on the rock. We see whose kingdom we are seeking. Seeking isn't the same as having a mild interest. It's not a pastime. This seeking is all-encompassing. It is the process of purchasing the pearl of great price that requires that we sell Everything. The final solution then to the anxiety. Okay, let me quote for you here from uh, Jonathan Pennington. He says this. The final solution then to the anxiety about money problem is to set one's heart and mind to seeking God's way of being in the world and his coming reign, which promises to result in all one's needs being truly met. Thus, the solution to anxiety is not simplistic, stop worrying, but a redirecting of the disciples' vision to the proper heart orientation, accompanied by the promise of provision. So like a refrain of music that shows up over and over in a musical composition, when Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he is taking our understanding of his earlier themes deeper. We've heard these themes already in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the 
kingdom of heaven. There seems to be this connection between righteousness and persecution and the kingdom. It's something that comes together. Jesus is saying, remember, I've talked about this. You, I'm bringing this back up and bringing it home. That's what you should be seeking. That's what you should be going after. The Lord's Prayer, a few weeks ago. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is driving this home. This is the message. This is the theme. This is the takeaway from all the Sermon on the Mount, what our focus is. We've been told it is blessed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it is blessed even to be persecuted for righteousness. We've been commanded to pray for the kingdom to come. But, but what, what does it mean? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness practically? Well, let's look at the Bible and get some ideas. I'm going to list off a number of things. First of all, we seek to keep the gospel first. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God, I'm keeping the gospel first in my life, center in my life. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Listen, that gospel reality is first in our lives every day. We never move past that. We never get over that. It's how I think about my life. It's how I deal with my sin. It's how I have confidence before Him. It's how I have courage to pray. It's how I know what's going on in my heart because I realize Jesus died for me. Lord, show me what that means before the cross. It's how I stay humble. It's how I forgive because Jesus died for my sins. You can't do anything worse to me than, than, I've, than I have done to myself. And Jesus forgave me. I forgive you. So seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness means keeping the gospel first in your life. Also, we seek to preach the gospel to others and make disciples. So we're looking at a measuring rod here and we're seeing how are we doing in seeking first God's kingdom. Well, if you're doing that, it's going to be a burden on your heart. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we're seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then all of our earthly pursuits, they just pale. We may be anxious because we're thinking about the wrong things. Think about the things God's thinking about. And that is your neighbors. Are, you, are we praying for our neighbors? Are we praying for our family? Are we reaching out? Do we have a plan? Do we have a strategy? Yeah, well, that's seeking first God's kingdom. That should be part of our lives. That should be on the tip of our tongues. God's calling us to Jesus is calling us to that. You want to not be anxious? Think about things that are really important. That's why we have the global and local mercy and ministry team. Because we want to be invested in the world around us, here in our community, around the world. That's why we're involved in Sovereign Grace churches, to plant churches around the world. Because that's what's important in life. Not what you eat, not what you drink, not what you wear, not how much money you have. 
Amen? Amen. What else is seeking first God's kingdom? We seek to adorn the gospel with expressions of love. We're seeking first to adorn the gospel with expressions of love. So, Romans 12, 9 through 18 or so, just, it just lays it out. In my Bible, it's called the marks of a true Christian. So we're just going to read these verses and comment briefly on them. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. So seeking first God's kingdom means we're, we're genuinely loving each other. We're not putting evil things before our eyes. We're abhorring that. We're holding fast to what's good. We're not drifting away from these things. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So listen. So much of really all of the New Testament, it really only works in community. You can't, it's really not a good, you can't really do it by yourself. So, so we are called to show brotherly affection for one another. And when we're thinking about the gospel, that becomes easy. And outdoing one another is showing honor. Not, so our first, our first, it should not be a criticism, it should be an honoring. What's, what's the gospel, what's the grace doing in your life? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So there's a fervency, there's a desire to, to, uh, to serve the Lord. So we're leaning into serving, we're not having to be coaxed or cajoled, we're looking around the house, what can I do to serve in my job, where I work, here in the church, wherever I am, how can I serve, how can I help? That's the disposition we have when we're seeking first God's kingdom. Number 12, or verse 12, we rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These are trying times. These are difficult times. It's easy to get discouraged and and become dismayed. But we're seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. Well, we're going to rejoice with hope. We're going to be patient. We'll be constant in prayer. 13, verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. There is a gospel generosity. When I realized Jesus became rich in order to make me, became poor in order to make me rich, I just want to give. I just want to care. I want to have people in my house. I want to meet the needs. I want, I want to give. I want to program my giving. I want to give spontaneously. That's seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. Verse 15. Oh, verse 14, sorry. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Listen, in this day and age of contention and rivalry and slander, gossip that's so prevalent and and just explodes in all the social media, we come in a different spirit. We're blessing. And I see sometimes on social media these comments, these things that some of us say. And it's one thing to give an ordered argument about a biblical truth that is against maybe a public policy of some sort or the actions of a politician. But these, these nasty grams, these, these cheap shots, they don't really honor God. We're supposed to bless and not curse. 
Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You got a promotion. I didn't. I'm rejoicing with you. You got an updated kitchen. I didn't. I'm rejoicing with you. You got healed. I didn't. I'm rejoicing with you. And I'm leaning into those who are struggling. I'm caring for those who are weeping. 16. Live in harmony with with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Look for that opportunity. You were offended? Don't respond back that way. How can you honor? And lastly, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And here we have it, peace. The antidote to anxiety. That sometimes elusive quality of life of the one who seeks first God's kingdom and his righteousness. It's the non... Here's a quote for you from also from uh, Jonathan Pennington. It is the non-God-directed heart that is laying up earthly treasures that ironically does not have peace. But the people who live like the flowers and the birds, apparently foolish from the world's financial perspective, are the ones who are free from anxiety. They seek first God's kingdom, and as a result, get all their needs met without anxiety. In the battle of anxiety versus the kingdom of God, the kingdom wins. Every time. So, finally, let's look at verse 34. Jesus ends on this interesting truth to live by. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, we sometimes think, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. We're going to have this kind of carefree life. Jesus does not promise us a life free from difficulty and suffering. In fact, he's telling us we'll have trouble every day. Sometimes the trouble comes from the little frustrations of living in a fallen world. Things break. Plans fail. We are misunderstood. It's frustrating. Sometimes the trouble is life-changing and out of our control. But we know why trouble comes. We, we live in a fallen, broken world. What good can come from these troubles? Well, God is a redeemer. He can redeem our troubles. He redeems our troubles to remind us that this is not our home. That makes us eager to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He reminds us through our troubles. He redeems our troubles to remind us that his ways are better. So we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness.
He redeems our troubles to remind us of our insufficiency, of our neediness. So we lean into the community of the church for grace and help. And most importantly, God redeems our troubles by calling us to himself. All throughout the day in our troubles, we can turn to our Heavenly Father who cares for us and he will meet our needs because he knows that we have them. By telling us not to be anxious about tomorrow, Jesus is inviting us to stay in the moment. That's where he is. God is the great I am, the eternally present one. He is a very present help in a time of trouble. He will never leave you or forsake you. He, if he is mindful of the sparrows that fall and the flowers of the field that fade, he is even more mindful of you. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's a daily call. Moment by moment. So let's do that. Let's go to him now in prayer. Lord, it is a sometimes costly glory when the troubles of the day call us to worship you. Lord, we're standing before the reality of those troubles and we're wondering how. How we're going to deal with them. God, they are invitations into your throne room. They are invitations into your promises. They are signs of your sovereignty. So Lord, we pray that we will cast all our cares on you in those moments. And that, Lord, we'll seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that will lay up our treasures in heaven and that we'll be guided by your spirit and enabled to walk. Lord, walk in grace, walk in faith, but, Lord, also walk in victory. Lord, we pray you will meet us with your power in those things and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.